On today's episode, Dave interviews legend Sheldon Patinkin. Sheldon was a producer and writer for SCTV, a member of the Playwrights Theatre Club, the Compass Players, the Second City as a director, and now as an artistic consultant. Sheldon was a chairman of the theatre department at Columbia College and is a major influence and inspiration to the Steppenwolf Theatre Company. On location in Chicago, I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. Um, I wanted to, a couple of things I've been thinking about, one of them being the different stages. I want to talk, start off talking about creativity um, because you've been such a part, you've witnessed so many different um, stages of it or, yeah, stages of it um, with so many awesome creative people and has been part of that as well. Uh, and I think about the work that you've done with Steppenwolf, which is just, just so inspiring to me because they've just done so much great, great work. They were, they were, are a wonderful ensemble uh, and have been since the very beginning. It's just, I, so it's the ensemble. You're saying it's the grouping of people that, that they have. Well, they're all talented. Yeah, they are. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. But they work as ensemble actors mm -hmm. uh, and directors, uh, which to me is how you do theater, how you do anything any kind of acting is with the others rather than solo right when there are other people with you um, Dell defines it as if you make everybody else look good then you'll look good too right um, I was asked once at a master class I was teaching with the faculty of Second City <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, if I agreed that an, an ensemble is only as good as its weakest member, and I said no, an ensemble is only as good as its ability to compensate for its weakest member. Right. Which is, and then I added to that, and that weakest member can be somebody different every minute. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm an ensemble teacher, I'm an ensemble director, and actually right now I'm directing The Tempest. Where's, for what? For um, City Lit Theater, mm -hmm. uh, which is three separate groups, one, two, three, four separate groups really, who never get together except at the end of the play. Right. But each group is an ensemble, and then they all have to be an ensemble at the end. Right. Um, I taught Biola's games to the Steppenwolf people when they first, first moved to Chicago. Uh, they were already understanding what all that meant, but that was fun. And it was when they were expanding the size of the company so um, it brought the new people in. And then they sent me over to Remains, which was Amy Morton and Gary Cole and Bill Peterson. Um, and I taught them as well. And um, I teach at Columbia College, Chicago. Uh, I've been well, I was chair for 29 years. Now I'm chair emeritus, which means I no longer have to deal with the administration. Right. Thank God. Right. Um, 
and uh, I teach acting classes, I teach improv classes, I teach directing classes, all of it around the concept of ensemble. Right. That's, what, that's what I do. Right. I learned the games from Paul Sills and Viola Spolin, first from Paul, her son, mm -hmm. back at the University of Chicago when I was many years old, um, in 19 And we opened our own theater in 1953 mm -hmm. called Playwrights Theater Club, which was an ensemble right. that included uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May and Ed Asner and Joyce Piven and Byrne Piven, Barbara Harris, uh, Paul, of course, uh, Gene Trubnik, who was later one of the original members of the Second City Company. Um, we did a lot of plays over a period of less than two years. We did well over 20 plays um, and worked on the games when there was time in between rehearsals. Then David Shepard, who was also part of Playwrights Open Compass, David said the weirdest thing. We had a 60th reunion of Playwrights Theater Club last June 23rd on the anniversary and during it he said I didn't learn anything from playwrights except how to do theater which is why we were doing it <laughs> and I questioned him on it and his only response was I'm political he had always wanted to start the compass right uh, originally in Gary Indiana fortunately that he talked himself out of that, as it turns out. I thought he was talked out of it, but he moved to Gary before he moved to Chicago and realized it was not going to work there. No. And he agreed to do playwrights first. Where did you get the plays from the playwrights? So was that was that where Caucasian Chalk Circle? That's how we opened. That's it. how you opened it. That was the opening yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, why did you pick? How was that picked? We had just done it at University Theater. Uh huh. In, uh, at, in Hyde Park. In right at the university. Mm -hmm. Um, at Mandel Hall, as a matter of fact. And um, Paul was very interested in Brechtian theory at the time. Did you meet Brecht, or did anybody? Paul, I think, did uh -huh. when he was out uh, there on a Fulbright. I know he spent some time at the theater. Mm -hmm. um, I never wanted to meet Brecht, frankly. He apparently was an awful human being. Yeah, I read that too. <laughs> and smelled, because he didn't <laughs> bathe. <laughs> and took advantage of women. It's mm -hmm. just awful, but important. So, yeah, we did. We also did Three Penny uh, while we were there. Those are the two breath plays that we did. Um, How many shows did you do there? Was it a lot, or was it? You want me to name them? No, I don't want you to name them. <laughs> I'm just saying, was it a lot? We'll, we'll bunch it, was, it up. It was over 20, it was uh -huh. close to 30. What was including the Including five of it? Shakespeare. How did it end? How come it ended? The f <laughs> we were closed down by the fire code because at that time it was illegal to have theaters on second floors. And we'd been on a second floor for over a year and a half. Mm -hmm. But I think part of it was, it was McCarthy time. Mm -hmm. and. Our plays were leaning toward leftist, if not leftist. And I think after a while, especially after we did a, an original play called Rich But Happy, um, <laughs> I, I think they decided it was time to close us down. Mm -hmm. 
So they uh, just found a reason. They, well, uh, they we were had a lot of reasons for why we were against the fire code. You're supposed to have an asbestos curtain between the stage and the audience. We were an open stage, um, three quarters in the round actually, or two thirds, something like that. Um, three quarters. And um, there were a whole, whole bunch of fire codes that we were not in obedience with, but had never been. But after all that time, they closed us down, so who knows. And then you all dispersed, or you, you got together at a well, cafe? Well, a, a lot of them did the compass. Right. So who, so that was, um, uh, uh, that was Paul putting the compass together, or that was? Paul and David. Paul and David putting the compass together. Quite a few had already left for New York to study. Mm -hmm. When you say study, what does that mean? Take acting classes. Mm -hmm. uh, Asner, who very soon after he got there, there was a very successful production of Three Penny running off Broadway, the Blitzstein translation, and Asner replaced the Peachum, which is who we had played in our production. Mm -hmm. uh, Zora went there, Burn and Joyce Piven went there. Quite a few of them went there to study. Because mm -hmm. there really were no acting teachers to study with in Chicago. Right. And certainly none that understood the variations on the method. Right. Who, who did people, why did people come to Chicago to begin with? Because of UFC? Yeah. Well, Joyce was from here. Right. Uh, Zora came here because of the UFC. Mm -hmm. So did Ed. What about Eugene? He came because of the UFC. Uh -huh. Paul was here. Uh, David came because it was Chicago. Uh, he didn't know anybody, actually. He's from out east, right? Yeah. Um, Barbara lives here. I lived here. Uh, it was a combination of locals and people who had come to the University of Chicago. Right. What it was. Byrne moved here. From where? New York. Mm -hmm. I think he was living in New York. He's originally from, I think it was, he was originally from Pennsylvania, I think it was. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an amazing thing that, that, University of Chicago was the the locus, the, the center of all that. Yes, since the, we didn't have a theater department. That's what I'm saying. I was or any acting that. classes. <laughs> right? There was no theater department, no, no yeah. acting classes. None. And yet, look at what ha burgeoned from that. Yep. It's I mean, it's really phenomenal. There's no explanation for it. Why all those people were in that place at the same time. I think it's called serendipity. Right. Um, Isn't it the same serendipity that happened with Steppenwolf as well. Yeah, but they had a theater department. Right. But it was that, that gathering of people too. Yeah. Yes. And it was also them coming from uh, the North Shore, right? With a lot of people gathered from the North Shore. You get yeah, most of them were from Southern Illinois. They were from Southern Illinois? Yeah, most of them. I thought, okay, Only I thought, Gary and Jeff. Jerry, right. and, and Gary never went to the, to the university. Right. Uh, Jeff did and found all these people. Right. In the theater department. Right. Uh, yeah, no, same serendipity. But at least it's understandable in that there was a theater department for them to have wanted to go to. Right, 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 right. I don't know how it happened with us. So when, do you remember, get, do you remember meeting these people for the first time? Do you remember, so what were you studying at that time? What were you, what were you studying? Well, I had just entered the college. Um, you entered very young, didn't you? Fifteen. Right. 
Um, I entered the college in 53 and started the university in 54. No, I entered the university in 50, 50 started at University Theater in 51, uh, and started taking the improv classes with Paul in 52, 53. Was anybody else teaching those improv classes at no. that time? No. Well, Viola. Right, right, but that but Viola she was, by way of, right. She wasn't in Chicago. She was, where was she? California, LA. She was in LA, right, yeah. right. Um, do I remember, well, the first thing I did when I met Mike and Paul and Joyce, who was not Piven yet. Mm -hmm. um, Mike Nichols. Right, and Paul Sills. Right. I volunteered to run the lights for a production that Paul was directing and playing one of the roles in that Mike and Joyce were also in of Cocteau's no, Sartre's The Typewriter. Mm -hmm. That was Paul's return to university theater after the guy who had been the head of it, the only paid employee, uh, was gone and a new guy came in and invited him in. And that's when I met them. Uh, basically the first night that I was at rehearsal. Uh, I was a kid. God knows. I was the youngest person at Playwrights, too. Mm -hmm. By a month. Barbara's a month, Harris is a month older than I am. I never let her forget it either. Um, and I, we worked till three, four in the morning, four or five nights in a row, setting the lighting cues on this gigantic dimmer board, old fashioned dimmer board. Um, and they were impressed with my patience, I think, as much as anything. And it just grew from there. Mm -hmm. Mike, I already knew from a couple of shows at University Theater before Paul came, came back. So the university sponsored this theater but and and they and they had um, what would you call it they, they had a teacher a teacher no not a teacher but director what, you, a what director a director come in they paid a director right but the the university had nothing to do with the students had to gather the shows together or the university paid for production uh-huh um, and for the salary of that of the theater and the rest of it was all us have they ever, has University of Chicago ever claimed any of this, the, the, the onus of oh, yeah. the onus? Have they, they, they made oh, a yeah. deal out of it? Oh and, yeah, we, we've been invited back more than once to talk about uh, the early days in, at the university. Right. Including at the Humanities Festival one year. Uh, no, they're very proud of it. Uh-huh. Uh, well, did you they, feel, did they you feel, should be. And, but did you feel, um, did you feel that they were supporting you? I mean, did you feel supported or did you want yeah. more? Except George Blair, who was the original one, the one that Paul couldn't stand, mm -hmm. was hopeless. Mm -hmm. He didn't understand what was going on or he didn't have... No, he, he was a regimental kind of person mm -hmm. uh, and not a very good director. Mm -hmm. 
But as soon as he was gone, Paula would become part of another group that had grown up on the campus called Tonight at 8.30, came back to University Theater. Did, was Paul a student there, or he just? He had been. He had been, and he just then re-showed up yeah. and hung out. Well, Otis Imboden, who replaced George Blair, invited him back. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want to do this play by Sartre about a poison pen letter writer during World War II. Uh, and I want to do it in the upstairs small theater, and I want to do it in the round, mm -hmm. which had never been done before. The round had never been done before? Not at the university. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Not that any of us had ever been part of. Uh -huh. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, it was a huge hit. Right. It got reviewed by the Metropolitan Newspapers, first time that the university show had been reviewed. Um, was extended twice, and it sort of started Paul on the way toward our own theater. Uh huh. The and it was because this guy uh, Otis invited him back. Invited invited him back. So he was the one that opened the door. Yeah. For me talking to you right now. Yeah. In a way, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, either that, or we would have done it at tonight at eight thirty. Mm -hmm. It was going to happen. Paul was already talking before the the typewriter about starting his own theater. Playwrights Theater Club, the producers were Paul, David Shepard, and at first Eugene Trubnik. Eugene didn't like being a producer, or maybe it was the other way around, but at any rate, he was replaced by Bernie Solids. Who was a student there as well. He had already graduated. He graduated. Yeah. Uh, he was, he's, he was, what, 13 years older than I am. Um, he just died this last summer. Mm -hmm. I miss him a lot. Right. But he was 90. Um, he was very inspiring to me. To me too. Yeah. He was, he was, when I was directing over there, he and I had so many conversations and it was just such a lovely touchstone to the real reason that we all do this work. It, it seemed to, to, be, to have a, my conversations with them reminded me of the depth of this work. We should explain that over there is Second City. Say that one more time? Over there is Second City. Yes, over City. there is Second City, certainly, <laughs> right, right, right. He's the, he was the original producer of Second City. Right. With Paul and Howard Alk. Mm -hmm. And eventually just him, and now Andrew Alexander. Right. Who bought it from Bernie. Um, so so uh, uh, Bernie comes in and takes well, Eugene steps aside and Bernie comes in. Yeah, Paul already knew him. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they were on campus briefly together mm -hmm. and Bernie would come see university shows. And I met Bernie for the first time. He came into the theater as our new producer one day and uh, invited the four or five of us who were there he said, I'm going to take you to the best restaurant in town for lunch. We were quite excited. Uh, <laughs> we went. It was all the apprentices and me and Jerry Cunliffe. Uh, and he took us to Fluky's Hot Dog Stand, <laughs> which he genuinely believed was the best restaurant Was there in a town. Fluky's on the south side? Because I, no. I, I remember Fluky's on the north side. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it was. Yeah. That's where I, I grew up a block away from Fluky's. 
and he, I think, grew up in Austin. I'm not sure. The West Side. Yeah, West Side. Right. Um, I grew up in Inglewood, where I can't even set foot now. Mm -hmm. um, one of the two most dangerous areas in town. Um, that was Bernie. It took me a while to figure out how I got mustard on his back. <laughs> it was from getting it on his fingers and then scratching his back. <laughs> I always saw, saw, thought of him as more erudite than Flukies, but maybe he developed into that. No, it was both. Uh -huh. He was a mixture of Flukies and philosophy. <laughs> Oh, there's your title, the book title. Um, when did, like, did you guys, when, this, when did this sense of humor come out? Or was it always there, bubbling under, and then embraced? I think it didn't really, I mean, we did some comedies that were pretty damn funny at mm -hmm. Playwrights. Uh, and Mike was very funny as Pinchwife at a production of The Country Wife at school. Mm -hmm. Um, but it didn't really bubble out until Compass. Like, as I said, we had done some comedies, but we were serious. Oh, God, we were serious. Mm -hmm. uh, we were going to change the world. Well, there must have been that feeling, because there, the, the, it, I, who can blame you for, because as far as I'm concerned, as far as what you're telling me and what I've, I've studied and what I've known, there was never anything like this before. Never. 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 And there's never been anything like playwrights since. Right. You know, it was unique. Um, and the compass was the beginning of improv theater in, right. in America, really. Right. And, and, and to think the onus of all that was really an understanding of scripted pieces. Right. And... Which is why we did playwrights first, mm -hmm, right? And why how David was convinced that we had to do playwrights first. Uh, we had to work first on the scripted pieces, then we could improvise. And the improv, the thing about the classes that we had with Paul, is that they were funny. When we improvised, they we were usually pretty funny. Was that the but the intent was not humor? No, no. The intent, as I say to every improv class I teach now, because they're all about using improv as uh, part of the tools for acting. Mm -hmm. This is not about how to be funny on your feet. This is about how to understand the needs of others on stage with you. So at the time that, you, because right now, when you think improvisation, 98% of your thought goes to comedy. But at well, that's that what time, it is. That's what it is, but that's not what it was. Well, it, by the time the compass opened, that's what I it understand was. that. But I that understand was not that. its original purpose. No, no, it was not that its original purpose, which is just so interesting to me that there was a time when comedy wasn't even thought of, when improvisation and comedy were, were there, there was a very thin thread that connected those no. two. Viola created the games in originally uh, to help immigrants and children get comfortable with each other. Uh, which has nothing to do with being funny. No. Uh, it has to do with listening and connection yeah. and understanding and patience. Paul taught us the games because he was forming an ensemble. 
and when a group of people play the games together, they become an ensemble. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I teach the games at the beginning of all of my acting classes, to make them into an ensemble. Um, it wasn't till Compass that being funny became part of it. Right. Were people... Uh... But everybody was smart. Mm -hmm. It was all University of Chicago people to begin with. Everybody was smart. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Oh, smart is so funny. So smart is so attractive and interesting. Uh, I had a student, and I, I, Sheldon, I don't understand what happened. I had a student who, we asked for a suggestion for an occupation, and someone said cowboy. And this person was from the United States, and she didn't know what a cowboy was. She didn't know what a cow. I was at Second City going, cowboy, you know, like cowboys and Indians, cowboy. And she said, I don't know what a cowboy is. And then I was thinking, are you kidding me? And then she broke down crying, stop trying to explain this to me. I don't know what a cowboy was. And I'm thinking, is that possible that we live in a time when people don't know what cowboys are anymore? No. <laughs> no, I don't think it's possible. And I was thinking, did I imagine that? But there's so much going on. For me, I feel like there's so much information at our fingertips, and there's so much. Uh, so it's such an easy thing to be curious and to be say to get your your curiosity uh, sated to 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 be informed. And it's really exciting to me and to to be at Second City and to watch smart people doing smart things as opposed to just be behavior mm -hmm. is exciting to me. Yeah, me too. Um... You know, I still work at Second City. Uh, I'm artistic consultants. Mm -hmm. Nice title. <laughs> <laughs> it seems very broad. Well, what it, my basic job is to watch previews at Second City and at, and at Second City ETC mm -hmm. and give notes. Right. Which they either take or they don't. Then right. I go home. Right. <laughs> it, what do you do? You still feel that common th that common thread of smart coming going through? Yeah. Smart, yes, but very different training outside of improv training for a very different audience. And, you know, times have changed. Right. We had that 60th reunion of playwrights last June, and the night before the panel that we did, we were all invited to watch the Second City show. I knew they weren't going to like it because it has it is not like what they think Second City is because it's what it was 50 years ago um, when they were the audience as well uh, with a whole different training and a whole different aspect and a whole different culture and it's like a foreign country yeah a um, couple of them left at the intermission with fairly lame excuses. Uh, and David Shepard, God bless him, told the director, the actors, and the producer afterwards that he didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody expect anything else from him? Uh, I certainly didn't. Um, right. I never did in all the many, many years I've known him. Has he ever enjoyed a show? Yeah. Not recently. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, David is David. Well, 
he was talking about it when we were backstage waiting to go on for the panel the next day. And I said, David, it is really okay sometimes to tell white lies. And he said, I'm 89 years old, I'm not going to change now. And I wouldn't expect anything different from no. him. No, no, And he has not changed in all those 89 years. It's so interesting also, the, the, Again, he's such a seminal, he's such a part of, 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 the, of the column of, that holds, that upholds what it is that, that we're doing now, this, this oh, yeah. craft. As producer, as participants right. in the Compass in Chicago and St. Louis and wherever else he's tried to do it, it's a very important part of who we are. Right, right. And it's also somebody who has... But he isn't funny. <laughs> I don't. I don't. When I think about him, I don't think of like I'd like to spend forty-five minutes listening to him, uh, you know, try to make me laugh. I, but I do. I look at that. And I think I. Uh, he's. It's. He's also willing. It seemed like from what I've read about him, because I don't. I've, I've met him once. I think. Um, he always had a vision and he always had an idea and that vision and idea was he was able to get that and communicate that out but there was a point in it where it needed to change and he didn't change with it. That's correct. That is correct, which is why everything since the compass has basically flopped for him. Right. Or someone else has taken it. I.O. Right. Yeah, I.O. Is, is it's okay to call it I.O. Yes. It's Can't call it Improv Olympics that. anymore. Yeah, right. But I.O. is a perfect example of that. Yeah, but that was Dell as well. Mm -hmm. And You know, it's interesting because when I've talked to people about it, it's always been Sharna and David, and Dell wasn't, you know, uh, Dell's opinion of what had to be ha had to happen with it is just between Sharna and Dell. Yeah, but Dell created the Herald. Right, right. Co-created the Herald. Yes, yes. Um, Do you remember the first Herald you saw? Yeah, it was at ETC. And I didn't like the form. Mm -hmm. well, what do you think of the form now? I don't like the form. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I don't like the way the form is played. Because mm -hmm. it's let's get laughs, let's get laughs, let's get laughs. And Although I do agree with Dell that improv can be an entertainment as well as a way to create material. Which is what Bernie's <laughs> Yeah, which was. they fought about until the night before Dell died. Right. When Bernie went to Dell in his bed, uh, set up bed and said, for tonight, it's a form of entertainment. And I don't remember who it was that was standing next to it and said, Bernie, you're standing on his life support. <laughs> and Bernie used to tell that story himself, so I have no problem about right. telling it. Um, <laughs> how, how apt. Uh, anyway, what, what were we talking about? Talking about the first time that you saw it, and you were saying that it was oh, yeah. good, they're just for laughs. I don't, I don't like the use of improv for just getting laughs. Right. Um, I would love to see scenes being created. I mean, God knows I've watched enough set, uh, 
improv sets in my life to last me the rest of my life. Um, and when something happens, it's very exciting. What does it mean? What do you mean when something happens? When a scene gets created out of the improv right. that's going on. But that doesn't happen in the Herald. It's not meant to. It's jokes. The only thing that's created occasionally out of the Herald is a blackout. Right. And I guess it's a good training mechanism. I've never used it myself. Have you ever done one? No. <laughs> I haven't improvised since the 60s, <laughs> except in life. Um, you haven't you haven't improvised since the sixties. Nope. You haven't gotten into you haven't entered a scene. Nope. Wow. Nope. I haven't really performed since then. Did you do you remember saying I'm done performing, or it just happened yes. that way? <laughs> oh, so there was a seminal. There was a moment that you went, oh, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Yes, and then I. Had to do it a couple of times in Second City after that, mm -hmm. when before we had uh, understudies uh, in the '60s. Mm -hmm. um, but I stopped liking being a performer once I started being an assistant director, really, right. and a stage manager. Uh -huh. I just didn't particularly like it anymore. What didn't you like about it? I wasn't very good at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How's that? Mm -hmm. um, the last major experience I had as an actor, Paul decided he wanted to try the games on text. And in the mid-60s, while I was the director of Second City, we put together a cast at the Cherry Orchard, including Paul and me in it, which I thought was a mistake. But he said, no directors. Um, and we applied a lot of Viola's games to every scene in the play, which is what produced a lot of how I teach. Uh -huh. um, but except for an occasional moment here and there, I knew I was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew Paul was even worse than me. And he was playing Lepakin and I was playing the student. We were both playing leads. Um, and that was pretty much what decided it. That plus Bernie saying to me at one point, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, suffering. <laughs> when you got, so when you were in the company at Second City, who, do, who's, who's? No, I was never in the you company. You were never in the company? No. You were never just, in the company. Just an occasional replacement. Got it. While I was the director. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got no, it. No, 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 no. I have never been in a second city company. Mm -hmm. I have never wanted to be in a second city company. So when you were when you so in the sixties when the last place the last time you just you were like okay I'm just going to jump in here it wasn't like for nothing. a couple of days once right or once to prove a point to David Steinberg right um, he came back from tour and was to replace someone in the show we were doing then and he didn't like the role um, so I and, and said I'm not going to do it so I said okay which surprised him um, and I did it for three days and he took over <laughs> uh, that was with Robert Klein and Fred Willard in the company 
Was that one of your favorite companies that you worked with? Pretty much, yeah. Uh -huh. Certainly one of them. Right. Steinberg was a pain in the ass, but he was good. Right. He was really good. Right. Was there a particular company that you thought this is the this is, when 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 the show finished you went that was the smoothest process I've ever been part of? No. <laughs> they've all been they've all weighed the same in yeah, terms pretty of pretty much. Uh -huh. yeah. They've all made me break out in bumps. Right. <laughs> and yet you still kept coming back. I that was my job. Right. Right. And we did more shows a year than they do now. More mainstage shows. Yeah. I would have liked it better if we had done fewer. Uh-huh. Because I was exhausted. At one point I said, we got to bring Paul in to do a show. I am exhausted. Mm -hmm. and, and we did. And then I had to finish it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he didn't finish it. <laughs> I, I look well, at some Well, Dell never finished the show. That's what I understood, too. Who just told me the story? Uh... Um, 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 Danny Breen told me the story of no, him. Bernie had to come in and finish the show. Yeah, yeah. Bernie had to come in and finish the shows. Yep. And they fought. Right. The end of Dell, not the end of Dell, that, that third act that Dell had of his life, it seemed... Which one? The one with... Well, you know what? That's really true. That's really true. Because actually, I'm, I'm thinking about when he... When he and Sharna started uh, Improv Olympics now... That was his fourth life. That was his fourth life. At least. Right. Compass, mm -hmm. Second City, as performer. Right. One directing show at Second City, which Paul had to finish. Um, Junkie. Mm -hmm. Where he didn't do anything at well, he, all, or he came in and still did stuff? He's, I had to fire him. Mm -hmm. I was the director then, which he deeply resented. Um, but all he did it during sets was swear at the audience, for instance. Uh, and he while he was directing from the audience? He no, while he was in the was, show. Uh -huh. He was a junkie in the show. Yep. Wow. Um, well, at one point when he was in the show before he directed the one show, uh, and I was the assistant director and the manager of the club, he didn't show up for opening uh, for the night after an opening night, and I called and called, no answer. So I went over to where he lived, about two blocks away. It wasn't when he lived across the street right. from Second City. Um, I couldn't get in, but I saw him lying on the floor. So I called Bernie. I don't even know how I managed to call Bernie. We didn't have cell phones in those days. <laughs> uh, maybe I'd already broken in, but we broke in. We got his stomach pumped. Uh, he was we got an ambulance. He was taken to count uh, to an emergency room, and they wanted to commit him to county because county hospital, right? Mm -hmm. Because anyone who ha tried to commit suicide had to be committed. We had a lawyer, assistant to our lawyer, really. Uh, who had a husband who ran a small clinic sanatorium on the south, near south side of Chicago. We got him committed there. And after about a month and a half or so, the doctor called and said, either you or Bernie, who were the two who committed him, can come and pick up Dell, bring him to the show, and then bring him back again. 
So I did that for about a month and a half because Bernie refused. Um, and we, we got along okay. But what I didn't know, what Bernie didn't know, and what the doctor eventually lost his license for is that he treated with LSD. <laughs> uh, which was legal at the time? I guess so. <laughs> so this uh, doctor treated Dell's depression or whatever he was going whatever through. Whatever he was going through. With LSD. LSD. Which didn't help his habit. No, no, no. He, he once called me and asked, asked me, I had a cube of LSD. I don't know how it comes now. Mm -hmm. I was going to try it for the first time. It was our day off. It was a Monday, therefore. And Dell called and said, will you come sit with me? I am being devoured inch by inch by the spider cake. So I flushed my cube down the toilet and went. Um, but eventually, when I was made director of Second City instead of Dell, who thought that he should have been again, um, we stopped getting along. Mm -hmm. We really did. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't go to his living wake because I thought it would be hypocritical. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing how long those things last. Well, on his part. On his part. Yeah. Certainly. I, I had nothing, I had no anger or resentment against him except mm -hmm. I thought he was crazy. Right. Um, and he was about half the time or more. Right. Why did, I, 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 I keep thinking how much time and effort y'all put in for his well-being. When he was good, he was very, very good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He really was. Mm -hmm. He was a great improviser. I never thought he was a great director, but he was a great improviser, an incredible mind. Right. Um, and there are people who swear he was the best teacher ever. I don't know, I never took classes with him or watched him teach. Um, I don't think of him as a guru, but a lot of people do. Right. Uh, I've seen the other side too much. Right. And um, He's a good actor. Yeah, he was worth it when he kept together. Mm -hmm. When he didn't, you didn't want to be around it. Was Bernie the, the, the person that was writing the checks? Yes. 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 So he put a lot of money into yes. Dell's well-being. Yeah. So very, so very often... Not only pay. What's that? Not only his paycheck. Right. But his, but his, his medical bills as well? Sometimes. Right. We didn't have insurance in those days. Right. Right. Although things weren't as expensive in those days mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. But Dell's had a lot of people sh shepherding him yeah. around. He's needed it. Right. And Sh Sharna saves his life. She really did. Mm -hmm. He stopped trying to kill himself. At one point he was being carried on stretcher out of his apartment across the street from Second City. And Joyce came out on the steps. Joyce Sloan came out on the steps. And he waved at her and said, did it again, Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> Joyce told that story a lot. Right. Um, he was Dell. Right. Everybody fed off of, and it probably still does, but I'm not there anymore. I don't know what that is, but it seems that 
at that time, it was such a small group of people that everybody really fed off of everybody else's energy so much more. It's still the truth. I mean, an ensemble's an ensemble. Mm -hmm. It has to work that way. Mm -hmm. You don't have to like each other, but you have to trust each other. Right. Right. And that's still the case. And when it isn't, it's hell on earth back there. I know. I know. I remember when Joyce brought me in because of the there was in to ETC because those people were not getting along, and she was able to go. I'm going to throw this guy in and see what happens there. And it helped. Yeah. Well, I don't remember who said this, but somebody said the only mistake you make in improvisation is casting. Hmm. Never thought of it that way. Well, casting is what, 90% of an, a director's job anyway. Right. 80%. This, uh, this show that you're doing now, did you cast that? Yeah. The Tempest? Yeah. And from where did you get your actors? All over town. Uh-huh. It's non-equity. It's non-equity. But they are good. Mm-hmm. I'm having a good time. Are you seeing the quality of the acting change at all in the past, I don't know, we'll say recent times? Well, Columbia is partly responsible for that. Mm -hmm. We've sent a lot of people out into the theater community who are damn good. Mm -hmm. Not only in here, but in LA and New York as well. Um, and back home, wherever they came from. Uh, well, there wasn't an acting community when we started at, in Playwrights. We were it. Right. We right. were the only professional theater in town. Mm -hmm. The rest of it was college and community and theater, period. Um, is there a golden age of Chicago theater? I don't think so. I think it's been a fairly steady progression of getting better. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good now. Mm -hmm. All right, if there is a golden age, it's somewhere around Steppenwolf moved to Chicago. That's what I was thinking at that time. Because that really opened up all the storefronts and all the, the, the stage left. And yeah. I mean, this is after that, but remains organic. That, well, no, Organic was before that. Well, I'm, was, Organic was before Steppenwolf? Oh, yeah. Yes. So was St. Nick. Right, St. Nick. The David Mamet Theater. Right. Um, Which is where, isn't that where Steppenwolf moved into, the St. Nick space? Yeah, at right. one point, yeah. On Halstead. Not originally. Right. Originally, they moved into the Hall House on Broadway. Right. Um, from? The church? Yeah, in Highland Park. Mm -hmm. Uh that was in the early 70s. Early 70s. No, that was in the early 80s. Yes. Pardon me. Yes. Uh, I'm bad on dates. June 23rd, 1953. That one I remember. Which, th that was? That's when playwrights opened. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At 1560 North LaSalle. 1560 North LaSalle. Is that where the... The um, building doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it, that's where the, the, the Sandberg Terrace is now? No, that's where... It's a block from Second City. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, where a f third, fifth, fifth, third uh, bank God, is. Right, now. right, right, right. It's on the other side of, of LaSalle. Sandbrook Terrace is on one side, that's right. on the other side. Right, right. And we were literally a block away from where Second City is now. What was the first, uh, what, that first, the first the, there's a shot of Bernie outside of the, the opening day of Second City. The uh, second, second City. The second, second. That's, that's Which him. was next door to the first, second City. Right. And you were, was there, was there a buzz? Was there a, like, what was the... We were already a buzz. Right. You were already a buzz. 
we were within the first three or four months of opening uh, called A Temple of Satire right. by Time Magazine. Right. Now, we were selling out from the beginning because of the old Compass audience. Right. Knowing that we were the, the successor to that. Did you guys feel like if you moved up north that you're going to lose your house? No. Mm -hmm. No, not at all. That's where Playwrights was. Okay, in Old Town. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, no, we didn't feel that at all. We didn't want to be near the university. Compass needed to be uh -huh. to establish who it was and what it was. Mm -hmm. But neither Playwrights nor um, Second City needed to be in the university area. Uh-huh. Whose idea was it to move? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I do know that it was David and Paul who wanted to go back to the university area. Um, it needed that then. But our audience, wherever we were, was largely university people to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then it just grew from that. You know, it's a compass open behind a bar. Right. The room behind a bar. Jimmy's uh, Woodlawn Tap? On 55th. Right. Um, David's big mistake with the compass was moving it north. He moved it to an area where it didn't belong. He moved it to Broadway and Devon. Right, right. That was compass that was in Second City. Yeah. Right. And there was... No audience there, no walking audience there, no nothing. Right. And it was upstairs, again illegal. Uh, <laughs> I think by that point they'd given up on it, uh, on being legal or illegal about stuff like that. And then there was Shelley Berman. Right. Who, as Janet Coleman says in her book, The Compass, the Compass was the divisive aspect of The Compass that really broke it apart. Yeah. It goes back to what you're saying about uh, uh, ensemble. He doesn't understand that word. No. I directed him in I'm Not Rappaport quite a few years ago. He came memorized because he was afraid of not getting it memorized in time, big part. Mm -hmm. But he also knew exactly how all of his cues were to be delivered so that every minute of every day was a negotiation for three weeks of rehearsal and three weeks of previews. Who was the co-star? Uh, Garrett Morris. Garrett Morris, right. Right, I remember that. Who arrived three days later than the first rehearsal because he was finishing a show in L.A. And within 20 minutes, Shelley started giving him line readings. And I had to clear the room <laughs> while they fought it out until Shelley agreed that Garrett had a right to his own line readings. <laughs> <laughs> you had a right. You had a right. Have you ever aborted a show? Have you ever walked away? I tried to once, but Bernie dragged me back. Mm -hmm. uh, it was Bernie's play, mm -hmm. The Puppet. That he wrote? Yeah. Uh -huh. At what we called Playwrights at Second City, where we had done the Chicago premieres of The Caretaker and The Zoo Story. Mm -hmm. Crap's Last Tape, The Maids, um, one more. The Maids is what? Death of Bessie Smith. Uh huh. Jeanne. Uh huh. Um, See, th those are all of uh, kind of a contemporary. They were con very contemporary. Yeah. 
This was in the 60s. Right. Uh, originally, Playwrights at Second City was the building that we, the theater that we built next door to Second City. Mm -hmm. And we did two shows there. The first was the first review by Jules Pfeiffer called The Explainers, which did okay business. And the second was an improvised three-act set in Chicago variation of Three Penny Opera and Beggar's Opera with Alan Arkin as McKeith. An improvised three-act, three-act, an improvised three-act. Jazz musical version of, set in, in the 51st Ward of Chicago. Right, of course, the, the 51st Ward. Um, uh, the mythical 51st Ward. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, wait. A three-act improvised musical. Off of a scenario. Right. Wow. It was a complete flop. Of course. It, not that it was bad, but it was a f total flop. I don't say of course in that way. I'm just saying, no. what an undertaking. I was recording rehearsals on reel-to-reel -reel tape, which is what we had then. Um, and there were at least two full tapes of Paul screaming at the cast. <laughs> <laughs> Paul directed it. <laughs> but he was a screamer, though, wasn't he? Yeah, and a chair thrower. Right. Did you, but you don't do any of that. You're not a screamer. No. I was every once in a while at the beginning of my days at Columbia. When you say the beginning of days at Columbia, you mean as, an, as a, as a uh, professor there or as a chair? No, no, uh, as director of a show. Never in class. Uh -huh. Never in class. Mm -hmm. But a couple of times I did scream during rehearsals of shows. I stopped that. I haven't raised my voice in a long time. No, I don't, I don't hear you doing that ever. I don't see that. People know when I'm angry without my having to raise my <laughs> right, voice. Right, right. <laughs> I remember Nate Herman's anger. Boy, that, that was all over, the, all over the place. Well, Nate was all over the place. Nate, that's what I mean. There's a, I don't know if it's apocryphal, but they, somebody said he would always take his glasses off and snap them in half, and one day somebody just went to a resale shop and bought a box of glasses. No, I think that's true. Yeah. I think that is true. So that whenever he got angry, yeah. he just reached, someone handed him the box. I don't know that Paul ever hit anybody with one of those chairs, by the way. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether he didn't intend to or whether he had lousy aim, but I don't think he ever hit anybody. Mm -hmm. um, it was just... Well, when I was frustrated during rehearsals at Second City, in the winter in particular, I would go out into the beer garden with a handful of our glasses and just throw them on cement, on the bricks. Uh -huh. Made me feel better. Right, right, right. <laughs> that was what Paul was doing with the chairs. Because mm -hmm. every once in a while it got very frustrating. Mm -hmm. Especially when it was J.J. Burton and uh, Marty Friedberg, who were really not very good. <sighs> or I shouldn't say that they were wrong for Second City. Right. They were Borscht Belt comics. Right. Well, that's what Shelley was in a way, wasn't he? Without being Borscht Belt, but he was th that comic. That Shelley was a stand-up. Yeah, that comic. Yeah. And and someone like David. Steinberg and Robert Klein were still able to connect with people, whereas Shelley wasn't. Robert more than David. Right. Right. David would tell people what to say in an improv. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Right. And every once in a while you'd hear him yelling at 
after afterward in the blackout as they were exiting the stage. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. David was David. He was very difficult. He says so himself, mm-hmm. but God, he was good. Right. And again, someone that's been a, a seminal part of comedy in, of, of, in our culture, mm-hmm. like what he's done and who he's worked with and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and continues to do that. Uh, the only person who wasn't intimidated for a second by him at Second City was Fred Willard. Mm-hmm. Was, was Fred intimidated by anybody? No. No. He just laughed it off. Right. Right. I, he seems... I uh, adore him. Yes. He, and I'm going to say this in a way he, uh, that isn't meant disparaging. He seems, and I don't mean to say crazy, he seems unhooked into so many things. Like he's able to go from one thing to another thing to another thing. But it's all knowing what he's doing. Right. And I think that that's why it's not crazy. It's not at all. No. It's deliberate. Right. And I think there's going to come a time, and I think it's going to be soon, where we're really going to appreciate more so Fred Willard's, Fred Willard's talent. I, I couldn't be more of a fan. Yeah. But I adore David. I really do. Mm-hmm. As difficult as he was, I, I really do care about him a lot. Uh, and Robert. Uh, and we're all in contact. Right. Where's Robert? Is he in L.A.? No. New York. New York. Well, suburb. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you in contact with any of that, the Harold Ramis people or any of those? That was really after my time. That was. Right. What were you doing then? Were you doing Columbia or? No, I was in New York. You were? From 68 to 78. From 68 to 74, I was in New York. From 74 to 78, I was in Toronto. Right. Living, that's where you lived. Yeah. What was in New York? Well, the first three years, I was writing screenplays with Arkin, mm-hmm. uh, who is one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did direct one Second City show that Bernie brought to New York to get rid of a company. Right. Uh, um, Where did I read that? Who wrote that? Did he write that? Somebody wrote that. He did that more than once. Mm-hmm. At least in those days, we had understudies. Uh, the first time he did it, we didn't. <laughs> get him out of here just get him out of here uh, anyway um, so during that time you were in New York you were working with uh, Alan yeah for the first his three book years. is great yeah it is so good he's a good guy I'm very fond of him mm-hmm. I love him dearly um, I remember when you were talking about Andrew Duncan and how close you were with him and was that what, did I get that right no. Not Duncan. Who, is, who am I thinking of? Probably Alan. I don't think it was Alan. Bernie? No. 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 It was somebody else who had passed I was really actually very close with Joan Rivers when she was here. Mm-hmm. I was one of the only people she liked. Mm-hmm. I could see that. <laughs> I could see that. That's another one who didn't belong at Second City. Mm-hmm. She was a stand-up from the beginning. Right. How did but she get cast? David Caster. Uh-huh. David sent his people from New York. Who was another David person? Mona Burr Cunningham. Uh-huh. Um, not too many others. Alan. Well, no, Paul knew Alan from St. Louis, from seeing him in, in St. Louis. Right. Because Alan did the Compass in St. Louis right. before he did Second City. Right. With Stiller and Mira in the same company. Uh, I, 
Look at our alumni list. It's just amazing. And who would have thought when we got started or when Compass got started that this is what it would be? I, it goes all the way from Stiller and Mira and Arkin uh, and uh, Barbara Harris and all the way to Tina Fey and whoever is in Saturday Night Live right now. Right, right, right. Well, it's also, amazing. Right. Let's, let's end there. Let's stop there. That's a good place. Okay. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Oh, my God. Today's episode was sponsored by GoDaddy. Thinking about starting a new website? GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code ADDcomedy at checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website, ADDcomedy.com. Hello, ADD Comedy Podcast listeners. Dave Rosowski here. First off, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And second off, if you've ever wanted to take a class with me but thought, gosh, I don't think I'll ever be around where David is, know that you can now take the virtual class at iActing. Just check our website out, and there's a link there. Click on that link, and that will set you up. you got to do a little hunting, but I think that it's well worth it. We'll hear you in your ears. Bye. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrosowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.